Welcome back to the Network 5 Emergency Medicine Journal Club podcast. This is our final episode for this series. And today we will be covering a very interesting article looking at the utility of CT versus X-ray for the investigation and management of pelvic trauma. We are again joined by our two orthopaedic guests, Dr. Anthony Wilson and Dr. Herwig Drobetz. Today we have Westmead Emergency Registrar, Dr. Kim Van Vu, presenting a paper titled Inadvertent Reduction of Symphysial Diastasis During Computed Tomography by Gibson et al. Thank you, Kim. Just looking at briefly the background for this paper first. So obviously, as we all know, pelvic x-rays do form a very routine part of our uh, investigation and workup of trauma patients. And the reason for that is it enables us to quickly pick up on any pelvic ring injuries. Building upon that, the reasoning behind this paper is basically they've gone, well, now a lot of institutions have very easy access to CT. So for patients who are a little bit more stable, sometimes pelvic x-rays are getting delayed or skipped altogether in favour of the use of CT. And what this paper was seeking to do was investigating how that impacts um, the management of patients. Uh, So in this paper, they had a very clearly stated aim, which was to compare X-ray versus CT on the initial assessment of pelvic injuries in the acute setting and to determine whether there would be a statistically significant quantifiable difference between these two modalities. Uh, In particular, they looked at the magnitude of synthesis dislocation on X-ray versus CT in patients where there was no external immobilization, such as a binder. And they wanted to look at whether the use of a CT scanner would lead to a partial reduction of the diastasis of the pubic synthesis. With regards to their methodology, they completed a retrospective chart review of patients that did require internal fixation of the anterior pelvic ring and those who presented between 2002 and 2013 to a level one trauma center in the US. They measured the magnitude of pubic diastasis on both the initial AP x-ray as well as the CT and this was done in millimeters and they had a number of people look at these scans. So they had a fellowship trained orthopedic traumatologist, they had a senior orthopedic resident or what we would call a registrar here and a junior orthopedic resident or registrar as well. In addition to that, they also had an independent traumatologist review both of the scans to provide an assessment of their predicted treatment for the patient. With regards to their results, so they had a sample size of 72 people who uh, met their inclusion criteria. Of these, 60 were male and 12 were female. With regards to the mechanisms of injury, 52.8% of patients had had an MVA, 23.1% were pedestrian versus car, and 20.8% had had a fall from a height. Some individuals had an X-ray first and others had a CT first. In their findings, they found that 70 of their 72 patients, which was 97%, had a reduction of their symphysis diastasis in the CT scanner. The average reduction was 6.6 millimetres. Uh, the largest group was 59.2% of patients had their uh, symphysis diastasis reduced by less than 5 millimetres on CT compared to X-ray. With regards to the expert opinion from the traumatologists, they found that in 20 cases, the CT and X-ray predicted the same operative management. Uh, However, in eight patients, the X-ray correctly predicted management, but CT did not. 
So in their discussion, the, the main focus was the fact that 97% of their patients had had a reduction of their synthesis diastasis on the CT compared to the x-ray. And the initial explanation that they offered was very much related to kind of the mechanics of CT in a patient. So they argued that the structure of the CT scanner, the, the way the patients would be positioned and the fact that they're strapped onto the table could reduce the extent of the diastasis on the CT imaging. Interestingly, they also looked at other factors such as the fracture classification and the patient's weight and found that this did not significantly impact their results. In addition to that, individuals that didn't have an anterior pelvic injury were more likely to have a reduction of the diastasis on CT uh, compared to those that did not. Uh, now, in analysing these results, I think it's also worth having a think about kind of some of the strengths and the weaknesses of this paper as well. I think one of the greatest strengths of the paper was the fact that they didn't just use, you know, an expert, like a fully trained traumatologist to review the scans, but they also included more junior levels of staff in their analysis as well. I think, you know, here in Australia, most of our trauma centres are teaching hospitals where at 2am in the morning, the first person reviewing these scans is usually a registrar who then discusses with their boss. So I think the fact that in their analysis, they also got junior and senior registrars to review the scans, it better mimics what happens in real life. And as a result of that, better enables us to apply these findings to our patients that comes in when the trauma call comes in. With regards to the weaknesses of the paper, I think the most obvious one is that they had a relatively low number of participants at only 72. And when they were breaking down their analysis further, some of the categories of analysis, they were looking at, you know, 10 or 20 patients. So I think there is definitely scope in this research for, you know, a similar study to be completed perhaps across a number of different trauma centres to see whether or not these same findings would be replicated or not, uh, simply because the low number of participants here does reduce the power of their study. Another thing that I found interesting about the study is just our ability to apply its findings to, you know, the population that we work with. So, you know, a flaw in all research, but particularly in trauma-related research, is that the samples are usually predominantly male. But I also noticed that in this study, you know, they said that they did collect information regarding the patient's age, but they didn't provide any information about this in their findings. And I would have also liked to have known a little bit more about perhaps the ethnicity of the population they were working with or any comorbidities that the patients may have had. I think a little bit more information there would have been of benefit in better enabling us to you know, determine, you know, how much can we apply these findings to the patient that is sitting in front of us um, in recess. So overall, I, you know, I think the conclusion that they reached at the end of the paper was that, you know, pelvic x-rays do continue to play an important role in assessing and making a decision regarding internal fixation. And they really warned against using CT only within trauma algorithms, particularly for these stable patients who can, who do have time to go through the scanner and are stable enough to do so. Thanks so much, Kim. That was a great summary of a really interesting article. I found it fascinating that the difference in the findings on the X-ray and the CT actually changed management for a significant proportion of the patients they were looking at. And it really kind of picked my ears up a little bit because at the current centre I'm working at, we often go straight to CT for a trauma patient and the radiographers often encourage us just to use the CT because they say that potentially the x-ray doesn't add any extra value. So I think this will actually be something I think about next time I see a trauma patient roll in the doors. I think it's really interesting from that point of view. 
Keeping this in mind, I was just wondering, I guess we can throw it out to the floor, how we would use this paper to maybe kind of alter our approach in ED. I mean, I'm always nervous to take a pelvic binder off in ED when a patient first comes in because you kind of wonder if you're going to lose the stability you might have. And then it kind of leads me to question, do we go straight to CT with a binder on and see what we find? Or do we take the binder off and do the x-ray? And if we develop instability, put the binder back on and then go to CT. So I was just wondering what people's thoughts were on that, you know, keeping in mind that perhaps we are potentially missing things by just doing a CT on these patients. I agree, Caroline. Super interesting. Like who would have thought that doing a CT wouldn't pick up all the injuries? Absolutely shocking here. And completely agreed in the same experience where you have the radiographers just being like, well, you're going to CT anyway. So I think this will be a bit practice changing for me. I think we do normally do the pelvis x-ray anyway, particularly if they're an unstable patient. But you're right in saying that, that we do it with the pelvic binder on. I mean, there really should be maybe a moment where if they're stable, we could take the pelvic binder off and do an x-ray at that point in time before we do anything else, just as part of our primary. What does everyone else think? So I'm the trauma director in Lismore, and I've been fighting this battle for five years now, and it pains me that they still do CTs without x-rays because it can never be that one replaces the other. So they are complementary. An x-ray gives me information that I cannot get out of a CT scan. We don't need to go into detail, but as an orthopedic trauma surgeon, I always want to have an x-ray and it's part of the trauma series, number one. Number two, I never want to have an x-ray in a binder. I need an x-ray without a binder because the binder can completely reduce a hemodynamically and mechanically unstable pelvis and completely mask all the disasters that are coming with it. So I need an x-ray without the binder. Whether you do two x-rays with the binder, without the binder, that doesn't matter. But we need x-rays with the binder off. And that may be the only reason why the orthopedic surgeon comes to the trauma call. So that they do the binder off and then put it on again. And the patient, no patient will get unstable in these 10 seconds it takes to do the x-ray. If the patient is so unstable that I can't take the binder off, I need to be in theater. I shouldn't be downstairs thinking about x-rays and uh, CT scans. And the CT scan, it's true, it gives me different information. It gives me information on, I don't know, fracture patterns, little things, associated injuries, blah, blah, blah. But 90% of what I need to know in order to make an acute life-saving decision, I get from a binder of pelvic x-ray. And that's incredibly important. And we had several cases where Patients were sent to the ward after a binder on x-ray and they became unstable on the ward. And that's then quite entertaining when it's two o'clock in the morning, obviously. And uh, the ward is an unsafe environment, blah, blah, blah. My two cents. What kind of injuries can we miss with a binder on? So the classic injury is the patient who horse riding, for example. The horse bucks, the patient bumps up and down with force onto the saddle and then falls off. And they usually have an open book pelvic injury, right? So the symphysis opens up, they have a diastasis, and in the back, all the ligaments are still intact. So it's opening up like a book, the pelvis. And it's not unstable in a horizontal or vertical plane. So when you put a bind on, you completely reduce this pelvis and it looks completely normal. And you will never know that there's a major injury, but they can still bleed and they are still mechanically unstable. But the x-ray and also the CT scan look completely normal and you would never know there's an injury. 
And I've had several cases over the years where this happened and then the patient goes to the ward, then somebody takes the bind off because it's uncomfortable and then entertaining things happen in the middle of the night. So we had one with a bladder rupture who was sitting in the ward for three days and couldn't void. We had unstable patients who start bleeding. These patients are usually patients who have venous bleeding. So it's slow bleeding and hemodynamic instability develops slow with an open pelvis. It doesn't become hemodynamically unstable if the pelvic is closed with a binder because that compresses the venous bleeding. But once it's open and the patient is lying in bed, of course, there's a huge volume into which it can bleed. If we had a patient that we took to CT who we did find pelvic injuries on and we had the binder on, would you still require the x-ray following that CT in terms of operative planning? Does that change anything? Yes, yes. I would always like to have a binder of x-ray. I think that's part of the good clinical practice to make decisions. I think it raises a couple of interesting points. Honestly, I can't remember the last time I took a patient with a binder to a CT. I'm not sure what the practice is up in Lismore, speaking to Westmead's practice. I also don't think I've ever sent a patient to the ward with a binder on. I don't think I've ever had a binder on for more than five minutes in Reese. And I've never applied a binder for the first time in Reese's. The x-ray is a decision, is done because of protocol usually with the binder on and then the binder just comes off. Most of the binders I've encountered have been applied pre-hospitally, which is fine. You know, you've got an undifferentiated patient. They come into the resus bay. We do our usual protocol x-rays of the chest and the pelvis. And usually then the binder just comes immediately off. I suppose my question then for the orthopods in the room would be, if the patient is stable, which, you know, at our center, we mostly see blunt traumas. Most of them are, you know, usually either horrendously unstable or, or pretty stable. And so it's pretty obvious at that point. Would you still want a post-binder removal x-ray than a CT? Would that be your preferred imaging pathway to assist? Or if we saw that the x-ray didn't look bad with the binder only, we would just remove the binder and then do a binder-free CT. Would you still advocate for a removed binder x-ray and then go to CT? So if you have a pelvic x-ray with the binder and that looks okay and the patient is hemodynamically stable, then I would do a pelvic x-ray without the binder and then go to the CT scan because that's probably easier rather than X-ray, CT, back to X-ray. And that's what we try to do in Lismore. The problem is not big hospitals where they have 60 unstable pelvises a year. The problem is hospitals where we have like one a month. And the problem is small hospitals where they never have them. We care for several satellite small hospitals. That's where the patient with the unstable pelvic injury lies with the binder on and then somebody takes it off later on the ward. You know, these are the, these are the, more problematic situations. West Mid is a major pelvic fracture center, so you are used to it. In no, Lismore, we are a regional center. We just have enough to keep us entertained, but we don't have enough to get really good at it. That's the problem. We have about maybe four unstable pelvic fractures a year, four to five. And that's just not enough to come good at it. And that's why it's so important that we don't overlook the unstable ones. That's it's so important. That's why I'm so adamant that we do the binder off x-ray. Uh, yeah. That's enough for me to go to theater. I don't need a CT anymore if I have a good binder of x-ray. And if the patient is unstable, then I can take this patient to theater and can do whatever I need to do. X-fix, screws, blah, blah, blah. Just to make this pelvis stable so that it then can become hemodynamically stable. The only important thing is that we can deal with an arterial bleeding in a pelvis. And they are rare, even more rare than venous bleeding, obviously. That makes a lot of sense. I sort of wonder whether that would be something we could do quite easily, at, even at Westmead. I don't really think that's 
certainly in my conversations with the orthopedic team at Westmead, I mean, I haven't had a conversation around this particular topic, but just reflecting on the last couple of big traumas I've been involved in the pelvic fracture, I don't know if we've done an x-ray with the binder removed in the ED ever. Usually it's just a yeah, binder x-ray and then binder off and then uh, or at least if there's a fracture on the with the x-ray with the binder on, then we progress to a CT and then the orthopedics make a decision about the binder removal. But it's interesting. I don't think we would be opposed to doing an x-ray with a binder on. I just don't think it's ever been asked of me from orthopedics. There's a plethora of papers that warn about doing binder on x-rays and overlooking things. So there's a million papers on that. Mm. There's not a single paper that states any disadvantage of doing a binder off x-ray. Yeah, now that you mention it, I can't really see a reason not to just remove the binder. Statistically speaking, major arterial bleeding is rare. And you're right, 10 to 15 seconds for a quick x-ray without the binder, if it helps in operative planning and disposition would be beneficial, especially in the context of, you know, major trauma resuscitation. I don't think that would be morbidity or mortality changing. I was just interested to know why it doesn't happen. The fact that it would help you with your decision-making in terms of being able to then decide whether the patient needs to go to theatre immediately or not would be uh, morbidity changing for the patient. So it's just an interesting thought. I just, I'd never sort of um, thought about it that way, but maybe I'll try it next time. I'm sure the trauma team will have something to say about it if I step in and remove the binder without the x-ray, but it'll be an interesting conversation to have. I mean, I wonder if you could see it on the scouting images of the CT, but then you probably have the same problem because you're strapped into the CT a little bit. But I don't think you're completely binded in. I don't know if anyone's looked into that. Probably not. The CT gantry, that whatever you lie in, that reduces it. And then many patients, I think, they have their feet bind together, right, in the CT. So they don't, their feet don't lie outside the gantry and touch the scanner. And binding your feet together, that closes your symphysis already you know the binder discussion we don't where do you put a binder optimally we all learn it has to be about the trochanters but as long as your knees are together your pelvis is reduced so if they bind this patient at the knees so if they bind the patient onto the table strap the patient on the table that the knees are together that's like a binder <laughs> so that reduces everything right you, you don't need the binder around the pelvis you need to if, it, if they're around the knees and the knees are together that's enough right that reduces your pelvis and if you then put the feet together, it's like 30% more reduction, reduces the volume even more. It's not the strength, it's where you do it. So you have, because you have the lever arm, provided you don't have a femur fracture, of course, you know. So what you're advocating for would be if someone comes in with a binder on, just remove it and then do an x-ray to get a best idea of do what the cause of the instability is. without the binder, yes. Yeah. Don't yeah, be scared yeah, because if the patient gets unstable in these 15 seconds, he shouldn't be there anyway. Well, I mean, if they're unstable... To that degree, it's all the more reason to get an x-ray because there's no way you're going to go to CT with someone that unstable and you That's need to right. make a decision as quickly as possible. That's right. And I have one chance. I'm going to try it next time. We'll see what happens. I'm sure it'll be interesting. I think that makes a lot of logical sense. The thing is the occult injuries being hidden by the CT also is something that I think is important to remember. I don't think we've had any incidences of delayed venous bleeding. Certainly in my time as a trauma registrar, I don't think we saw much on the wards of delayed venous bleeding with, with pelvic fractures that weren't identified in the ED. I was thinking much the same. I, I don't think I've heard of it, but we definitely don't do binder off imaging. Like we definitely do the x-ray, then decide, hey, that doesn't look unstable and then take the binder off <laughs> and then we're done with it and we don't do a repeat x-ray. So I've not heard of it, but maybe we totally are missing things. Well, only last year we had a patient who fell off a horse with this mechanism and it was in a smaller hospital and he was lying there for two days and couldn't we and they didn't want to put a catheter in because of the massive scrotal hematoma and swelling. 
and the X-ray and the CT were completely normal with the binder. Then the patient was sent to urology here in Lisma, and then somebody says he's lying in bed like a dead frog, right? Because they lie splayed. They can't move with an unstable pelvis. So they lie like with their legs externally rotated. And then after five days, somebody called us, and then we saw the unstable pelvis when we did a normal pelvic X-ray. It does happen. I mean, this guy only had a bladder rupture, but it's still probably not healthy to have urine all over your pelvis for five days. If you can prevent one case or two cases with a simple measure, like a binder of x-ray, it's not it's not, it's not complicated, it doesn't have any side effects, blah, blah, blah. It's enough, I think. I mean, I think it's very interesting because when you explain your reasoning, as Pramod said, it makes a lot of sense why you want a binder off x-ray. It's more that, you know, the traditional teaching, especially in ED, is we get it hammered into us how important a pelvic binder is. And that's probably where this hesitancy to do a binder off x-ray is. And I think this is probably where that role of having a little bit more interdisciplinary teaching and discussion to kind of really explain that, you know, that 10, 15 seconds would actually make a huge difference in outcomes for the patient and that's where it really comes in yeah and i don't want to take away the importance of the binder don't get me wrong it's never wrong to put a bind on you know there's also these studies that show you maybe have a problem when they have a lateral compression type pelvis that the binder displaces it more blah 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 it's never wrong to put a bind on they're life saving Yes, don't get me wrong. They're very, very important. But it's also never wrong to do an x-ray without a binder. Interestingly, in this study, going back to the one we were talking about, it only included the patients who had imaging both CT and x-ray with the binder off. So part of the exclusion criteria was I think there's 26 patients who had a binder on for one or both. So the assessment we've looked at is only the off stuff. So it'll be interesting to see if they included the assessment with the binder on, how that changed the displacement of these fractures or whether some of these other ones were identified if all the imaging was done with the binder on. Just continuing on from that though, looking back at the study, it's shown that 14 patients went from having insignificant diastasis to a significant one with just between x-ray and CT. So I guess that shows us that with the binder off in x-ray and CT, we're still getting a big difference in terms of what we're seeing, which I guess is why we're discussing the, you know, the point of having the plain film with the binder off as well as the CT. Yeah, I think it's an important point to emphasise just around the bias of the idea that I think certainly the my experience with trauma practice is that at least in, in the metropolitan and tertiary centres it's trended more towards definitive CT scanning for most things. Certainly that's been the advocacy that the trauma team has encouraged. So it's interesting to know that you can actually just get false negative CTs. That in and of itself is an interesting thought, which doesn't really you know compute with necessarily what we're told and what maybe logic would um, would determine. But when you think about it, it makes a lot of sense. And I feel like that's been a really interesting discussion on pelvic binders and CT. And I feel like next time I see a trauma patient, I'm going to be doing something differently, which is always a good thing. Kim, coming back to you, are you happy to give us your three take-home points for this paper? Pelvic x-ray does remain a crucial component of our workup of trauma patients. And going back to the discussion, the importance of doing a pelvic x-ray with the binder removed for that 10, 15 seconds to help us figure out the disposition of the patient if they need to go to theatre immediately. And then the other point that really came from this paper is to remember that x-ray and CT, they're different forms of imaging as opposed to interchangeable forms of imaging. So they complement each other. And thus, even when we do have CT readily available, that doesn't change the fact that x-ray does still provide a lot of value to our workup of the patient. Thank you everyone for making it through to the end of another podcast series with us here at Network 5. 
I would like to take the opportunity to thank our guests, Anthony and Herwig, for their contributions to our discussion this month. As always, we would love to hear your feedback and any questions you may have. You can contact us via our email, westmeadedjournalclub at gmail.com. All the links to the papers discussed can be found in our show notes, and we encourage you to go and have a closer read of these too. We look forward to being in your ears again soon.